Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion of comparing and contrasting secular models of change with abusive men and what we promote among biblical counselors and uh, church-based groups. Before I jump into that conversation, however, I do want to remind you once again that if you are benefiting from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is chock full of resources that I know you're going to want to participate in. If you enjoy the PeaceWorks podcast, uh, you're going to love PeaceWorks University as we organize and curate this material uh, in uh, very digestible ways. You're, you're going to want to be a part of PeaceWorks University. You can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. And if you're hearing something, if you're a man who has identified yourself as abusive, coercive, or controlling, or perhaps your church has been asking you um, to submit to some discipline because of choices that you have made, uh, maybe uh, Men of Peace, the digital course, would be a good option to introduce yourself to the concepts of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. You can find out more about Men of Peace, the digital course, at chrismoles.org and menofpeace.org. So on today's episode, I, I want to continue our discussion. I think last week we talked a great deal about there are distinctions between what we do as biblical counselors, philosophically, maybe uh, foundationally, and even practically, from what's done in secular environments. And we should use discernment, each one of us, uh, prayerfully considering uh, what type of training and and expertise we're leaning into. Uh, But we should also lean heavily on the gospel and on biblical truth. And so I thought it might be important to continue that discussion, as I know there's going to be more questions and concerns popping up. So one helper put it this way, and, and this is how we worded it last week. You know, how is the Duluth model, a secular model, different from what you do at PeaceWorks or what you train biblical counselors to do? And it's a fair question because I think there are some overlaps, but there's also some key differences. And in last week's episode, we talked about those differences foundationally, philosophically, and practically. Well, today I hope to just lay out functionally, <clears throat> excuse me, how those two approaches may look, functionally how they may look. And so, first of all, in a traditional um, batterer intervention program, something that you might find at a community corrections department, the Department of Justice, Uh, perhaps in a community-based agency, and they do differ state by state. There's nothing that regulates these groups around the country, so they are quite different. In fact, some states only require you to do kind of like individualized work, and you can just go through a slide deck course real quick on the Internet, and I, I don't find that to be very helpful, but most places require you to be part of a group where you're interacting with other men who have committed similar acts of violence against their partners, along with one or two, preferably two, facilitators who are leading group discussions around um, 
themes. Uh, and that's typically uh, a secular-based model. Now, of course, in the church world, we might have two, and I'm speaking generally, there's other approaches, but we might have two general approaches to the same problem, and one would be coaching or counseling. So this is a one-on-one um, scenario where you're working with an individual through the problems of their use of force, coercion, control, threat, and fear. Um, this would be a traditional biblical counseling approach, and you are working with them through um, an agenda, like we said last week, the gospel being the agenda, walking them through biblical truth in order to put off the abuse and violence and to put on uh, God-honoring um, alternatives. And, of course, that's a very light view of what we do in biblical counseling, but for the sake of time, we're, we're not going to go into into depth on how how that looks in each individual case, but I, hopefully you understand the concept here, that there are distinctions. Churches who run groups or individual biblical counselors who run groups uh, typically are also walking that same pattern of drawing men's attention to their own sin, the way in which God views their sin as opposed to how they view their sin, uh, addressing their need for repentance and transformation through the gospel and then drawing them into new patterns of behavior. Now, in a secular environment, what's that look like? Typically, it's cyclical. So in most uh, BIP groups around the country, the groups are cyclical, meaning they are running all the time. So week after week, that group meets, and the makeup is slightly different every week, depending upon the mandated amount of time that you have to spend. So most of these groups are based on uh, civil or criminal orders, and it's a condition of your probation or a condition of your parole or a condition of your underlying sentence that you have to attend these groups. And so they will be anywhere from 24 weeks to some are 52 weeks, their entire year uh, worth of group meetings. And so you would be required to attend the mandated number of meetings um, in order to complete the course. And then every group has different attendance policies and uh, violation policies and sanctions that go along with those groups. Uh, on the other hand, you know, biblical counseling and church-based groups, they're usually within a time frame uh, because you're typically operating within a church situation or a under-ecclesiological authority where you're dealing with a church discipline situation or you're giving regular updates um, to church leaders. And so rather than being cyclical, people coming and going, Obviously, biblical counseling is one-on-one, so there's no you know, cyclical nature to it other than you are meeting with this person frequently and regularly, but you are also looking for a graduation point, which is a very common biblical counseling term. You're looking for a graduation point. Uh, for us, we often talk about a point of decision because um, not every not every abusive person who is confronted desires repentance. Uh, you will have your your rich young ruler moments where you will part ways due to a lack of repentance or a lack of desire to repent because power and control do get you what you want. And, and it is quite a sacrifice um, to embrace ideas of servant leadership or reciprocity in your relationships uh, when you have been benefiting, quite frankly, from power and control. So 
uh, time frames will be different. Don't expect, um, you know, the long time frames. In groups, typically church-based groups will not be cyclical. They will be time-based, um, somewhere between 10 to 28 weeks, depending on who's running them or how they're running them. And again, the goal is a point of decision. Are we dealing with a willing person or a willful person? Are we dealing with um, a repentant heart or seemingly an obstinate heart? Are we embracing continued discipleship or are we finalizing church discipline? And that does vary from church to church. And and that's something that I try to speak into on individual cases, but, you know, I'm not, you know, your pastor or I'm not pastoring that church. And so we usually are having discussions surrounding that. And so they, they do look very different in that regard. Um, from a secular point of view, the cyclical groups are, are fascinating. They make a tremendous amount of sense if you're running a criminal corrections group and your, your goal is to lower recidivism and increase safety in your community, then having new guys come into the group with experienced guys, so guys who have been there for 20 weeks, interacting, interacting with guys who've been there with two weeks, is extremely beneficial and it creates a unique group dynamic. Most churches don't have the resources to do that, and it's very difficult to vet because we're not um, – a criminal-based group. We, you know, so I often cite this, you know, uh, Romans 12 and Romans 13 come together in the scriptures, and we are called to live at peace with everyone, and God has given um, the government the sword, the agent of God's wrath. And so uh, we don't use coercion or threat. Uh, we practice gentleness, Galatians 6. Uh, we practice um, truth, um like uh, Ephesians tells us to do in speaking the truth and love. Uh, we practice community like Matthew 18. And then sometimes we practice um, um, excommunication or, or finalization of church discipline. Like you might see um, in Matthew 18 or Titus or um, uh, Paul's, you know, excommunication of the incestual man in the church in Corinth. And so there, there's varying levels of responses to this, but I do think we, we lack the teeth to do what the secular world does, and I'm glad that we do. That's all I'm getting at. So cyclical groups have their benefits, but I rarely see that happening in the biblical counseling world. We're much more time frame oriented, and we're looking at um, a process. So, with that being said, how how is the process different? You know, say between a biblical counseling approach and a secular approach. Secular approach typically is going to run those cyclical groups through eight themes. Those eight themes are going to be based primarily on the power and control wheel, um, emotional abuse, economic abuse, uh, intimidation, coercion, threat, minimization, denial, and blame, using the children. And those themes are going to be open discussions with exercises and reflection questions and homework to help the guys process the ways in which they've harmed their partner in those ways. Um, Again, fascinating uh, dialogue happens in those groups. On a biblical approach, you're you're actually more along the lines of of a success path or a uh, discipleship path. I might even use the analogy from our friends at uh, Faith Church in Lafayette, who talk often about the discipleship river, and you are functionally in an eddy, gathering the gear, gathering the material 
to get that person back into the discipleship river. And so what we're talking about, again, is a point of decision. Are you going to remain obstinate or hostile? Are you going to remain reluctant or resistant? Are you going to be willing and participative? Are you going to be repentant? Each of each of those responses is kind of going to determine when and where we fall back into the discipleship river because our ultimate goal is not to have perpetual counselees asking questions about their abusive relationships or their use of abuse. Our goal is to walk them through a process that places them back into church discipleship either as continued discipleship, evidence repentance, observing the fruits of repentance, or finalizing church discipline. And so for us, we use the W. The W is um, just our way at PeaceWorks of, of helping us visualize the path to uh, continued discipleship. And uh, we have three major movements in that W, transformation, or yeah, information, excuse me, Information, understanding, coercion, control, threat, fear, and our place in that, uh, the cruelty that we use against others. Transformation, applying the gospel to those cruel and wicked choices that we have made. Um, And then reformation, the the sanctification, the walking out of our faith uh, in continued discipleship. We have two pivot points on the W. So, the top three points in the W are information, transformation, reformation. Our pivot points are ownership and surrender. Once you acknowledge and understand the ways in which you have harmed another, the ways in which your harm has impacted another, the ways in which you have violated God's law and God's standard, and the way in which God views your sin, you really need to take responsibility for that. Are you willing to own that? It's kind of a Psalm 51 type of moment, you know, against you and you only have I sinned. So being able to come to that point is essential for transformation. Um, That's what we call ownership or taking responsibility. We then move into the transformation peak, which is understanding the gospel, the provisional, positional, practical aspects of the gospel, leading to surrender. Uh, We do talk about the lordship of Christ and our waving the white flag and giving up mastery and how Many men who claim to be Christians who come through a process like this to a biblical counselor will, will, will tote the doctrines of grace, for instance, but say they believe in God's sovereignty, but practically they live as if they are in control. And really being crushed or willing to embrace humility, and I will often say that it's better to choose humility today than be humiliated tomorrow, to actually embrace the lordship of Christ and surrender Um and then you can walk um, that Reformation walk, that, that new life walk of progressive sanctification. And so our processes are quite different. Uh, as a cyclical model, we'll just continue to go over those themes. There's tremendous benefit in seeing that discussion happen, whereas a biblical counseling process is really going to be more of a path. How do we get back into the discipleship river? either to see an abusive individual continue their discipleship in evidenced repentance or to finalize church discipline if necessary. Okay, uh, The primary tools of groups are different. So in a secular model, your primary tool is probably going to be something like a log or a self-report. Um, 
And these are quite common in the secular world, and there's a lot of fascinating information. In fact, I, I have encouraged biblical counselors to look at these documents, these one-page reports, because there's a lot of potential for data gathering here. And they do a fairly good job of asking questions that are going to help you understand a little bit more about the choices that individuals make. And so these are usually one sheet, one side of one sheet. Uh, They're a self-reflection exercise that's usually done in homework. And they're made up of uh, similar questions. Um, And you'll probably use one of the themes. So if you were to take one of the themes and let's say, in group, you're talking about isolation, you would send this hot sheet home and you would say, okay, I want you to tell me about a time that you isolated your partner. And you do that by answering the first question, what were your actions? How did you isolate your partner? What were your intentions? What did you want when you isolated your partner? What does that tell you about your beliefs? How did you view your partner, right? So it's a worldview question. Uh, What were you feeling? Uh, which tells us a lot, you know, I was feeling empowered, I was feeling sad, I was feeling guilty, I was feeling great, whatever, right? Um, The effects that this incident had on you, had on your partner, had on any others, like children, neighbors, law enforcement, pastors, so on. Um, Minimization, denial, and blame. How have you minimized this incident, denied it, or blamed it on something or someone else? And then what are the alternatives? And so that's a very common homework, I would say, Um, 99% of secular groups use some form of this homework. And I'm sure some of you biblical counselors are even thinking, hey, there's a lot of benefit to that. And there is. And some of my biblical counseling friends use modified versions of this. I think one of my favorites is instead of um, feelings, they build off of beliefs and will say, what is your functional view of God? In other words, in this moment, what was your actions saying to the world about your beliefs? What was your functional view of God? What was your worldview? And it it does a good job, I think, of highlighting some of the hypocrisy of abuse and allows for that type of dialogue. Um, Our primary tool is a little different, although we have used logs and reports like this, and certainly we love to use x-ray questions, heart-level questions that you'll hear from folks like David Powelson or or Tim Lane or others. But uh, for us, our primary tool has typically been the tree model, And the tree model is based in Luke chapter 6. A good man brings good from the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man evil from the evil stored up in his heart, from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, right? You can't pick grapes from briar patches and so on. So we will have um, usually draw this tree out, the fruit on the left side of the trees where we start. We go left, uh, left and down and then up and to the right of the tree. And we'll start with the fruit, which is usually the behavior very similar to the, the log sheet that we just talked about. What did you do? How, did you, how were you sinfully abusive to your partner? And we're listing that, we're drawing that out, we're pulling the rope, and I train my counselors and people how to do that. Um, then we're moving down the trunk of the tree to what we call the desires. Uh, we use James chapter 4. We do what we do because we want what we want. And um, then, of course, we want what we want because we think what we think and believe what we believe and so on. So... Um, we're getting our motive. What did you want to see happen when you punched a hole in the wall? What were you hoping that she would do? How did this benefit you? And so on. And we're gathering all of this data together because I, I could probably tell an abusive person what they need, but it's so much better to dialogue with them, I think, and have them come to those conclusions 
um, in a discipling relationship. And then, of course, uh, we move down to the level of the heart. We, we uncover what's happening. Nine times out of ten, we're dealing with what we call the heart of pride or the heart of violence. Uh, we're seeing that in uh, biblical narratives uh, from Nebuchadnezzar to Saul to King David, the rich young ruler to Zacchaeus to, to whomever uh, we can apply there. But then we're also looking at biblical truths such as God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we're seeing that heart of pride and then contrasting it, the other side of the root ball, the other side of the root system, with the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. And we begin to talk at this level about gospel transformation and what it looks like to embrace the mind of Christ and to see this heart of violence be replaced uh, with the mind of Christ. And of course, that will lead, now we're moving up the tree again on the right side to new godly motivations. So what are the contrasting godly motivations? If you were living for self, if you were living for peace and quiet, if you were doing this to get her to behave or to conform what are our new motivations? And we might use scriptures like 1 Corinthians 10.31 or 2 Corinthians 5.9 to build those new godly motivations into our systems, into our thinking. Then, of course, that should produce fruits of repentance. And so weeks and weeks of work of gathering data, contrasting with scripture, gathering data and contrasting with scripture, building biblical frameworks on how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view others, establishing new godly motivations that we hope lead to new godly behavior. That is the work that we are often doing in the biblical counseling world. So you can probably see that the secular environment for behavior modification, accountability, there's there's a lot of good ideas there. The, the cyclical group gives you newbies and veterans dialoguing so that you have allies as a facilitator in the room. Uh, the primary tool has great data collection options. It also gives you a kind of a peek into the individual's heart. From a biblical counseling perspective, we are going to be somewhat more time motivated. Uh, we are agenda driven. And so we're not just coming and going. Uh, we are wanting to get them back into the discipleship river as it were, the, the life of the local church, whether that be through continued discipleship and fruits of repentance, observa- observational fruits of repentance, evidence repentance, or, or finalization of church discipline. And our primary tool uh, would be similar, but also not limited to just what did you do, but you know, what did you want? What does that say about your heart, your relationship with Jesus? What does the mind of Christ, how does it contrast with this heart of violence? What is God's expectations and desires for you if you are a believer? And then what does that look like going forward? Uh, so I hope that has been helpful, helpful discussion. We're not done, I don't think. I think we're going to talk about this maybe for one more episode. We'll see. Because I do think there is some maybe some functional differences about me personally. So uh, maybe we'll get personal next time. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, But my hope is that this has been helpful to see that biblical counseling has a unique role to play in this work. And I have said, I said it this past uh, week at the time of this recording, we're uh, just a few days removed from our PeaceWorks Live conference. And I said that I really believe that traditional Nuthetic counselors, biblical counselors, we're uniquely positioned to do perpetrator work. We have a great deal of skill, knowledge, and ability to do really good perpetrator work. I think 
we have to kind of jettison maybe some of our concerns. We've got to thoughtfully consider how our work can positively affect those who are suffering. So how maybe our primary counselee is not the one we're working with, but the one we're working for. But our approach has a lot of benefit in this work, and I'd love to see more biblical counselors engage in working with perpetrators of abuse. Well, I want to thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast, for continuing to tune in week after week. We so appreciate you guys. If you got time, rate, review, subscribe, let the platform you're listening on know that you value us. And until next time, friends, God bless.